Hey, this is Akuya Jamfi, and you're listening to TBB Talks, a podcast where we from the British Blacklist bring you our conversations with creative black folk from the UK and across the globe. We'll be talking to up and comings, headline popping, and the legends from screen, stage, music, and literature. Basically, if they're creative, we'll be talking to them. And we hope to shed some insight into their lives, the work that they choose, who their inspirations are, how they stay motivated, and more importantly, how they keep sane being black in the arts and entertainment world. Good morning, Debbie. You all right? I'm good, Sharon. Nice to speak to you again. How are you? I'm well, my darling. I'm good. Because I think the last time I spoke to you was few years ago now. I've just been uh, reacquainting myself and you're really busy between stage and TV work. Um, yes, baby, we have to. <laughs> <laughs> we have to work hard. And also things have just seemed to come together all mm. at once. So the filming for Doctor Who and Informer all happened last year. But oh, okay. they have come oh. out this year. So it just seems as if everything is happening. <laughs> At once. It's a bit more spaced out than that. You are one of these amazing talents, I think, who, because you have TV and film dramas and you're always well received, and then you have these roles in some of the biggest musicals of, of the day, you, you're one of these rare Black British artists who you really are like the triple threat. I've been lucky enough to cross over. Mm. as they say and I don't know how that has happened but it's just the way it's getting those opportunities I suppose and then people believing in you and giving you a chance to do something or somebody thinking outside of the box so say for instance when I got my audition script for Informa it was something that I I desperately wanted to do when I normally get a script for anything that's to do with being in a cop show I'm either the woman who's running the brothel or going up for the woman whose son has stabbed God knows who. <laughs> or, you know, I mean, I've never been up for a role on telly to do with the police where I'm in charge. So to see that someone had written a character like Rose, when I got my first script, it said, Rosa Sante, DCI, has dreadlocks, is in a tweed suit. I was like, yeah, no yeah. one's writing that, particularly with locks. You know what I mean? That's not something that's written in. And if you have locks... And then, like I said, you're usually some kind of drug dealing something. So to see that someone had that kind of vision of someone like Rose in that particular role, mm. having that kind of authority, I was like, I'd so love to be a part of this. I beat down their doorman. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> you want me to change it? You want me to do this? You want me to do that? Okay, mm. I'll, I'll, I'll give you whatever you want because I want to be a part of this story. Mm. And also as a Londoner to see London portrayed in that way, in the diverse, vibrant, raw, funky, just wonderfulness that is London that I know and love. Yeah. See that portrayed on screen was something else that I wanted to be a part of. I am a very proud Londoner and went to a very diverse, eclectic, mixed school, you know, comprehensive in in Mm -hmm. North London, where I was able to taste my way around the world at lunchtime because we had that many... Yeah. Cultures in the playground. Mm-hmm. That's something that I want to see translated on stage and on screen. That's important to me to see what I didn't see reflected as a kid myself mm-hmm. reflected now so that this generation sees themselves. I interviewed Chizzy Akadulo last year um, mm. as she exited Holby. And I, re- I remember saying to her what a trailblazer she was as Mota Fanga. You know, she had portrayed this cardiothoracic surgeon 
And of course, when I looked back on in the history, again, one of your first recurring TV roles was as you're an ICU consultant, right? Married yeah. to Lola Griffin. And, and I was very, very proud of Lola for that because up until that point on telly, mm-hmm. I'd only played nurses. Yes. Do you know what yes. I mean? I'd done the night nurse in um, Dennis Potter. I'd been mm-hmm. a nurse in something else. I was always mm-hmm. a nurse. And they allowed you to keep your locks as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not allowed me to keep my locks. That's how they met me. They wouldn't have asked me to change yeah. them. <laughs> um, but to, to have someone who was a consultant, who mm. ran a ward, who mm. had a position of power and didn't mm. take any crap, that was someone that, as a kid, I wanted to see her on telly. So to yeah. get the chance to, to play her and to be that inspiration for a younger group. I was in Nottingham doing a show and a woman came up to me and she said, because of you, my daughter has gone into being a doctor because she was inspired by your character on telly. Brilliant. And that's a very proud moment for me to have a, a black woman come up to me and tell me that her daughter has been inspired in that way. Well, also a black British woman in a British hospital because we're often just seen of as a monoculture. So whatever's happening in America or somewhere else in the world, oh, that's okay you know, the black British community will will love it. But there are some major differences. Seeing American doctors, who, by the way, always have character flaws and you don't particularly like them, seeing your character was absolutely something we had never seen before and we really needed. So I am not surprised at all that you mm. were an inspiration. I'm very but, proud of that, very, very proud of that. And you, there was one point we were on set and we were doing a scene and I looked around and there was me, there was Reiki, there was Jay, there was Natasha, Doreen Blackstock, and God, who's the last one? I can't remember the name because it was too long ago now. <laughs> but I remember sitting there and going, there are six black women on this mm-hmm. set, mm-hmm. in this scene, and we are, you know, with the nurses and the doctors and the clients, the patients. Mm, we're just here. Mm. And there is no big thing about the fact that we are six black women. We just are. And that's the mm. stage that I want to be. That we don't have to comment on it. It just is. Mm. Because we just are. And, and it's this whole thing about black women as well. Somehow we always seem to be at the bottom of mm. the pile. And, exactly. you know, either... society. Yeah, either mute or serving someone else's purpose or you've played your fair share of used women. (laughs) But I love the fact that you are able to have started there with such a powerful statement in itself. How tall are you? I'm 5'7". So you're relatively tall for a woman as well. And again, tall women are often seen as ungraceful or galumping, you know, sort of... Mm. I'm a big woman as well, do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not a a svelte five foot seven. (laughs) (laughs) You're no Alec Wett. But um, again, you know, we tend to be very much stereotyped. So it was was an absolute joy. But throughout your career, though, I think that you have stayed very true to that without beating a, a drum, so to speak. As, as we spoke about, Killer Queen, uh, I think uh, there was a woman who starred, who, who did the role in Germany, who said she wouldn't have got the look Spain, in. Spain, Spain. Spain, that's right, that's right. Sheila Coffey. 
That's right. She again attributed that to you, saying, "Well, if they hadn't and, been, and, and I have to attribute that to Brian, Brian May. Do you know absolutely. what I mean? It's like, yeah. I, I know that when I walked into the room, I was not really who they were looking for, mm-hmm. but I had two people in my corner, and that was Chris Renshaw, who was the director, <laughs> and and I finally met Brian, mm. Brian. But I know that I won't name names, but it's mm-hmm. the, some of the creative team." weren't looking at me, do you know what I mean? I'm very used to seeing on the script, big black woman, when I'm cast for something. And Killer Queen was one of those things where it didn't say big black woman. So Mm. automatically, you know that that's a white character. So I could see that they were just like, well, why are you here? (laughs) You're not the remit. But Brian, Brian and Chris thought outside the box. That's just a wonderful thing for people to go, listen, she is who she is. We don't have to put a racial type or, you know, a type on her. She just is who she is. And we want the person who can sing it and have some kind of presence. So for them to then go for that and then go for some, someone like Sheila and then knowing that when they got to Australia that they went for an Aboriginal woman. Do you know what I mean? It's just like when, once people start thinking outside of the box and thinking mm-hmm. that there is a different way and they don't have to go down the set route, mm-hmm. then it just opens up the world for everybody because then they realise that Killer Queen can be anyone of any race, of any colour. Yeah, and actually any gender now. And if we can't make those kind of statements in a make-believe world... Exactly, you know, and fantasy. And fantasy. <laughs> if we can't do it then, then yeah. there's, there's no place that we can do it. And so we have to seize those those opportunities at every chance. Now, you've been nominated for one Olivier and one one, both in the supporting roles. And again, probably out of left field, that, you know, a James Baldwin musical, the Amen Corner, something that's very African-American. You know, for you to come out and win something like that, that year, unbelievable. No one is more shocked about that than me. <laughs> I'm going to be absolutely honest with you. And this day, I still go, really? Really? Because I just was not expecting it. Amen Corner, wonderful, wonderful James Borden play. God bless that man. Mm-hmm. But in all honesty, I didn't think anyone noticed me in Amen Corner because of the role. She was very much in the background, supporting the family. It, it wasn't about her. Mm-hmm. So I just got on and, and did that job. I wanted mm-hmm. to be there for Marianne and be there for Lucy and, and there for, for Eric. Mm-hmm. So when I got nominated, I was like, hello, really? A black British woman. All right, in an in an African American story, but as you say, the the master James Baldwin, we can watch him all day, uh, watch his stuff all day. But a black British woman, I was so proud. Thank you. And then you know you've gone. I saw you as a nurse in Paulie and um, in Romeo and Juliet down in Kingston. And oh, again, wow, yeah. that was another. I mean, that was a very contemporary production even venturing into a little bit of the experimental, but mm. you were still nurse. You were still just nurse. You Another know. nurse. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but this was in Romeo and Juliet. If you're going to be a nurse, then be the nurse. Be the nurse, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, and because, of course, you've done the normal roles like Rafiki, Motormouth Maybell, uh, Oda May Brown, great roles. Then you've done all these other things, which, again, makes an impression, keeps you in people's minds. So 
I remember seeing Caroline or Change back in 2006. At the National. At the National. And Tonya Pinkins was extraordinary. I don't normally go out and buy the soundtracks of musicals, but I went out and bought that one. And it was one of these interesting things where, you know, it was written by a white team, but they managed to get it. They absolutely managed to nail it with the music as well. Did you see the original production? Oh, God, yes. What, tell me about that moment when the possibility presented itself. Daniel called me and said, as you know, I'm, I'm heading up to Ch- Chichester now and I want to do Caroline or Change as my first show. Will you do uh... it? And I was like, of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I mean, to be asked to do something like that and not have to audition. Absolutely. So, have you gone to Chichester before? Never. So I just thought it was a very brave thing of Daniel mm-hmm. as a new artistic director to open his season with something like Caroline or Change, which is mm. not a show that would be the typical show that you would bring to Chichester. No, not at all. And I thought it was a, a, a very brave dance from him. And because again, you think it's one thing, but as you sit through the story, as the layers else. peel back, it's something else. Yeah. Completely. And then, and then when he said that Mike Longhurst was directing, I was like, yeah, definitely, definitely. I'd seen Amadeus, mm. I'd seen what he'd done with it, and I was mm. just like, I like his vision. Mm. And you know, and he sat down with us in the first day of rehearsals and talked to us about the fact that you know he was a white man doing this, but his creative team. So he's gotten Hazel Holder, who's our dialect coach, who's a black woman. So he had these women of colour surrounding him, and also getting a cast together who who know their business. <laughs> Do you know mm. what I mean? And I think what Mike has done with it, the way that he has moved it on from the production of the national or is it 12 years ago now? I think what he's done with the interaction, that whole thing of making Caroline actually able to interact and see the appliances and have actual relationships with them, that just takes it into another sphere again. It puts it on a different level. You kind of see Mm. what's happening in her mind through these appliances and um, that they stand for her head and her heart and her sexual repression and her anger and her guilt. That relationship is is much more brought home in the way that Mike made us all interact. I find that really interesting because uh, I think one review said that of the Hampstead production um, said that your stillness was so powerful in conveying your all of these incredibly strong emotions at not just what was happening to you, but what was happening to in America. And so I find that really fascinating. You've, you've done all of these musicals and, you know, theatre in itself can either be very loud and big or very small. How did you and Michael decide on who Caroline was going to be this time? How did he move Caroline on? Well, I think that act of the appliances moves Caroline, moves Caroline along in that way because she, she's not acting in a vacuum. She's not yeah. acting by herself. Yeah. One of the differences for me as someone who was able to be an audience member at the National and then someone who's actually participating in the show Mm. is that at the National, everything happened around her without her being a part of it. The the appliances were seen as other. They were always behind her commenting at her Mm. and she didn't have a reaction 
for interaction with yeah, them. Yeah, sure. She only then reacted with the family. But I think now that she reacts with the appliances, you see where her head is at. Yeah. And of course, it gives her more agency, doesn't it? Because in the 2006 production, it, it would almost be like keeping her in her place and not allowing her to have this inner world. But this, this inner world actually mm. enables an audience to find out what is happening with her and equating it with her mm. as opposed to it being a comment about her. Yes, and it makes her more human. Basically. It makes her more human. Yeah. You're just hearing the thoughts that are in her head mm. that she can't tell you yeah. in that way. And you'll, you'll yeah. see parts of her emotion that... You know, maybe she wouldn't be able to articulate, but they articulate it for her. How did it feel for the, when you got the news about the two transfers? Because, of course, you went to Hampstead first and, and now to the West End. Um, Absolute joy. I mean, like when, when we signed up, we signed up for Chichester. Yeah. There wasn't like, OK, we're going to do Chichester and then we're going to Hampstead and then we're going into town. For me, it was the opportunity to do the show. So... Yeah, I picked up myself and went to Chichester and was quite happy to do that. But when we got the news that we were going to Hampstead, mm. I was particularly pleased about that because I wanted to be able to, to bring the show to a more diverse audience. And as wonderful as it was up in Chichester, Chichester is not the most diverse of towns, neither is it uh, a town where that theatre audience is a younger theatre audience. So to be able to share the show with a more diverse younger audience was an absolute joy and we had great fun doing that at Hampstead. Then to find that that we were transferring again so it all just happened in stages that you, you kind of go okay we've done Hampstead and it's been really great and I've been able to go and sleep in my own bed at night and still tell this story mm-hmm. and then it's like no we're going into town you think okay I am overjoyed at being able to do that because in this present climate I think that the story that we are telling is oh so relevant you know Mm. tony wrote this in 2003 Mm. said it in 1963 and the week that we opened in chichester was the week that they were taking down the confederate statues and we had charlottesville and that whole neo-nazi rally which is you know you still get the feeling of that whatever those feelings are they Mm. still run deep you know what i mean and they and they can still incite hatred and whip up all kinds of mad craziness mm. you know and then over here we, we had that the, having the whole wind rush foolishness where you're just like that their contribution means nothing to, to have that juxtaposition with this story yeah sure i just think you know to be telling it now and for a new generation to understand where that comes from you know this generation will have seen obama pre, pre- president yes and so mm. you know and, and history is not going that far back Mm-hmm. So for them to see that things were different, that people lived a different life, and that as much as we think that we have changed, our way of life can still be threatened. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's without the wisdom of the old and the energy of the young, we, we, we won't have any change. And so for a younger generation to be able to look at something like this and go, okay, that's what was this is what it could be, mm. and this is what we must never allow it to get back to. Do you know what I mean? It's I important do. for me. So when, so now that we are in town, and I look out, and I look out, and we have, you know, the Black Theatre Projects. We've got, you know, 500 tickets mm. for young black people who have never gone to the theatre before. We have the Mousetrap Foundation. So you know, I can tell at the beginning of the show 
when I'm listening to the hubbub when we've got younger audience in because the energy in the audience is different, different. which is why I like theatre because mm-hmm. you do have the energy exchange and you can you can feel engage your audience from the top of the show mm-hmm. and so to look out and see you know black white Asian young old mid range you know I left stage door the other day and there was a young guy who'd waited God bless him who had come over from Israel to see the show because it's his favourite show. So when you've got that kind of reach yeah. to, to do something in this way, I think it's, it's, it's really important. And I'm glad it's not some flippant piece of jazz hand theatre, mm-hmm. which, of course, everything has its place. And I've done my fair share of them and I love them too. Mm-hmm. But right now, with the way that the world is, I'm, yeah. I want to be telling this kind of story. I want to be holding up this kind of mirror. And I love the fact that you're back in the West End in a lead role again. Um, I was absolutely stoked to find you in Doctor Who. Like, what? Where did that come from? I love it. That had its own energy, didn't it? Running around. Doctor Who was so much fun. That is just a little bit sad that I'm not there anymore. But when I I took the gig, I knew that she was going to die. I knew that. You know, I saw that device of, of how they are using that to glue Bradley and, and Tozin, or sorry, Graham and Ryan together. Yeah. You know, I totally get that. And if I was still doing Doctor Who, I couldn't be doing Caroline. And actually, I've got to be doing Caroline. Doctor Who was such fun, you know, running around after Alien to have her be a fighter and running up and down cranes. And it was just joy. I just loved it. Yeah. Also, to be a part of history, Jodie is the first female Doctor. That yeah. is history. And it's the most diverse um, TARDIS team as well. Good luck. I'm so proud. God bless, baby. Bye. Okay, bye-bye.